I am so sorry I'm late. What can I do? You can put on a bra, and then you can do everything else. If I had a nickel, welcome back to Quaid in Full, the podcast with all the fox to give about actor Dennis Quaid. I'm Stack of George Magazine, Sarah D. Bunting, and I'm here with Third Olive, Jeb Lund. Hi, Jeb. Just hit me with a bookcase. <laughs> I've been trying. It's not easy. Today, we are talking about 1998's Playing by Heart, which is a lot of things, most of them non-functional. But before that, Jeb, do we have any pod business? Oh, fuck no. All right. Great. (laughs) We've got a plot summary, though. Here we go. A star-studded cast fights, fucks, falls in love, falls back in love, and fails to convince us that anyone talks or has ever talked like this in Playing by Heart, which is basically if you waterboarded shortcuts with snow cone syrup and then had Wid Stillman punch it in the dick. (laughs) Among the players are Quaid in full returning guests Sean Connery and Jenna Rollins, on the eve of their 40th anniversary vow renewal, fighting about an emotional affair he had back in the day instead of his refusing to deal with a brain tumor diagnosis. Please welcome my dog in the background. Didn't like this movie either. Hello. Ellen Burstyn and Jay Moore as a mother and son exchanging sugar-free family truths as he's dying of AIDS. Madeline Stowe grieving the bed death of her marriage by boning Dr. Mark Green. Dana Scully and Jon Stewart tentatively courting, and Angelina Jolie in a series of catastrophically trying too hard late 90s capital I interesting outfits, trying heroically to create chemistry with Driftwood Philippi. And then there's Dennis Quaid, marching in and out of various Los Angeles watering holes and declaiming various made-up sob stories to, among others, future castmate Patricia Clarkson, and very recent Quaid and Full plot catalyst casualty Natasha Kinski. What connects all these threads, you ask, besides the fact that DP Vilma Sigmund used a Necco wafer gel in every fucking scene? Well, the film both does and doesn't want you to deduce, based on an unfunny Argo runner, that Madeline, Scully, and Tomb Raider are all Connery and Rollins' daughters. Eventually, you also figure out that Quaid is a video game designer, lol, taking an improv class, lol, although this revelation is utterly contrived, and apparently only for the purpose of laying weird Easter eggs in the plot. In Quaid's first scene, he tells Clarkson that his wife and son died, which, in Savior, episode 5, they did, and that wife was played by Kinski. Later, he tells Kinski that he's an ABC programming executive who couldn't fix the Thursday night schedule, and then there's a smash cut to a pillar of NBC's Thursday night schedule at that time, Anthony Edwards, who's boning Quaid's wife. We don't know that yet, or that Edwards is the minister presiding over the vow renewal. What we do know and have known from the opening frames is that this is a dated, stagey, claggy two hours with just about every late 90s signifier you can imagine. George Magazine, more Chiba, scripted material misapprehending rave culture yet again. It feels more like a creative writing what-if-callbacks-became-sentient prompt than an actual story. So I I didn't really like it. Jeb, had you ever seen this movie before? (laughs) (laughs) I have so many different ways of panning this movie i'm just going to start going through them like chronologically yes the first one i thought of was a a legendary tweet from crushing bort which uh, has since been deleted but it went she's an upright lawyer who plays by the book he's a carefree guitarist who plays it by ear but they're both assholes 
Yeah. And I was pleased, you know, because not only is this filmed during peak sexiness of Scully, Jillian mm-hmm. Anderson, this is peak Scully era. But this is also in the last, like, maybe four years before she decided to make every single syllable that she speaks include a sibilant that has been whispered. <laughs> so it was nice to, like, oh, talking Scully. I liked her. Sure. But it clearly was a bet between, like, Harvey Weinstein and David Geffen mm-hmm. over whether somebody could make a love actually out of the factory irregular discarded scenes from already produced love actuallys. Mm-hmm. I mean, although it predates Love Actually, but it's still, it's the same idea. It's sort of like the Demiurge reached its final form before the uh, disfigured godhead of that final form achieved its final form. Yeah. If you have more pans, I am absolutely here for them, and you can you could drop them in anywhere. But the contemporary reviews seem to be a lot more willing to let themselves be charmed by it. Yeah, They made the comparisons to Altman and to Alan Rudolph and Stephen Holden of the New York Times called the dialogue worked over and then, quote, fitted into an intricately designed, unabashedly glitzy piece of merchandise. It did look a little cheap to me, actually, but sure. G. Allen Johnson of the San Francisco Examiner referred to the, quote, utter incompetence of double threat Willard Carroll, who can't write a subtle scene and whose directorial strategy seems merely to point the camera at talking people. And then E.W. called it a short attention span, Hannah and her sisters. Mm, Not, yeah. Yeah. Not the comparison I would have made. And I think that it no longer holds up for various reasons, but it's also not inapt. I just really, I really didn't like it, but I also wasn't bored. Like the ways in which it was dated, even for when it came out and just unashamed of how, I forget the this author's name, but he did a book called Pretty in Pink, which was about the John Hughes oeuvre And he talked about some ending being like plucking a nostril hair to get an emotional reaction. And basically, this is what Willard Carroll is doing at all times. And he's like, he's going to get you to this schmoopy ending where everything, everyone learns how they're supposed to be, roll credits. And I found it kind of fascinating just to watch this collage of assholes cohering did you have that experience or it was just assholes for you it was just assholes i there was a bit i want to say about an hour and 10 minutes into it when i hit pause to get up to go to the bathroom and i looked at the runtime and realized i had another hour and five minutes and i honestly thought i was 10 minutes from the ending Mm. i thought like maybe there's 20 minutes left in this thing but there's no way there's more we're putting a bow on this and we're out it just sort of felt like my weight dropped through the floor and i was a shell i was looking at it like how can there be this much more and i don't know if it's the other podcast gig if the the watching so many hallmark movies at work here and i'm I'm sorry (laughs) to keep dragging it into this one because i know a lot of people aren't watching too many of them the way i am so it's not like the natural comp but this much forced dialogue like overly arty and trying to cram this much exposition among people who have manifestly zero chemistry with each oh, other. I God. felt like I was being, you know, held flush against the wall with a trident at my neck for like an hour and five minutes or 10 minutes. And then to find out that I had almost the same again was was awful. Like most of these people are horrible narcissists. They are charmless. 
And then it's like, oh no, please tell me more about your life. No, no, absolutely not. You guys can continue death actually. I'm going to fall asleep. (laughs) Death actually. I I mean, the fact that they're trying to be so cagey and coy about how everyone is interrelated means that they're cutting back and forth between and among all the stories repeatedly. And you can't, like, yes, that keeps the reveal obscure, but the reveal is not that great, A. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah, it doesn't mean anything. You've been tipped to it by halfway through anyway. And that is sort of the point where I was really starting to clock watch. Hmm. And then individual stories don't gain any momentum. And the things that you think you know that might be interesting or possibly like supernatural about them and these like shifting timelines just turn out to be contrivances. A number of the reviews mention Angelina Jolie's performance as sort of putting over stuff that shouldn't work. And I have Mm. a clip of some of the dialogue that she is saddled with. Mm. Last time I saw him, Harry was wearing a blue sweater and an idiotic expression. The sweater was new. Here's to good riddance, Harry. Good riddance, Harry. Just in every scene, especially as this particular storyline builds, her energy is getting more and more desperate as she realizes Mm -hmm. that this is an actual log, big, heavy, wood, Sarine Philippi. And then when he starts trying to act, like I was fascinated in the way that it's like faces of death, but faces of (laughs) death of an acting career that it was like, wow, so this is the moment when it didn't happen. Yeah. I feel like Gosford Park came out the next year though. So I think he still had, there was like one last squeaker out of the can but uh (laughs) it is if you are you know grading on appearances this is pretty pretty near the apex of the angelina jolie experience and Mm -hmm. weirdly i think in the way that the maybe the movie or weinstein or somebody was like well if we put somebody hot enough here all this stuff is going to melt together and it's not going to be as kludgy and chunky as dialogue and it'll just be nice and and uh it'll simmer between them and and all i could think was like if a woman this beautiful approached me in a club and started talking to me like this, I would just assume that she had a mental illness. <laughs> and the first 30 minutes of their relationship is her just dumping 30 minutes of, you know, expository dialogue and him going like, hmm, no, I don't like it. And she just pushes ahead anyway. And, and the only way for me to code that as, a, you know, a man in American society when faced with somebody that's staggeringly beautiful is like, this person just must be a lunatic. Like, you have to go. <laughs> <laughs> and so the fact that Ryan Philippe is staying there, it's like, what are you doing? You know what is happening here. This person is a lunatic and either you're, you're fine with that or like, are you just watching to see how she falls apart? Are you, is this a car accident for you? Why are you here? Yeah. Say no and go. Yeah. And even his reluctance, I'm not like, oh, he's been hurt before. I'm like, oh, what a malignant fuck. Like he's just sort of entertained by this catastrophe of a person and he's not going to say the definitive no because he wants the emotional Philip of this person needing him this person he doesn't want but like he's not gonna you know so no fuck you uh, both of you were awful let's go to Jillian and, and John Stewart no you're awful dude fuck off yeah I mean he gets by with this um opacity let's let's generously call it for a while mm. but once it becomes clear that he is not sort of a, a field psychologist assessing borderline personality in the wild it's like all right well this this all falls apart. Like, oh, you're actually a wounded tree? Oh, okay. 
And then a little trickle of sap comes out and it's like, no. There's also an intercourse PA joke that like, look, (sighs) I have so much compassion for how long this was saved in Willard's big book of jokes folder, Mm. but... No, buddy, and not with these two. It was also, to be fair, after he mentioned the radio call station WWFU. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. PA. Don't believe us? Here it is. (laughs) I happen to know you're a tremendous hit on WWFU. Which is where? Intercourse, Pennsylvania. Oh, intercourse. And I can't get enough of you in intercourse. And I know exactly how they feel. Bed. Don't make Bond do that. And also, (laughs) like, there's a hundred ways to, even though it's Catskillsy, to make that joke go. And he picked that way. Although, to be fair, Gina Rollins does then put him through like at least 20 minutes of Truth or Consequences New Mexico after that. So, (laughs) fuck you, man. (laughs) Yeah, this is really, I can't say that it's completely bad because I was kind of anthropologically fascinated by all the overused soundtrack cues from that era. Actors looking around and being like, this isn't good writing, but I can make hay out of it. I was fascinated by all the square neck tank tops and how Gillian Anderson hasn't really aged despite now being a blonde and British, but there was no tension, ergo no tension to resolve. It's... 40 minutes too long. Nobody talks like this. Get Goodnight Moon out of your mouth, etc. and so on. And it also felt like an adapted stage play. And I was very surprised to learn that it was not that originally a theatrical production. Yeah. I mean, you say that there are a lot of bits where the actors can sort of, you know, get around some dialogue and, and do some work. And for me, it just, it felt like watching a two hour and 20 minute forensics competition <laughs> where, I mean, like Jay Moore, especially as the, the dying AIDS patient, you're oh. like, oh, this is, this is a 10 minute prose cutting right here. Like, mm-hmm. don't go mama. It's dark. I, I can scarce see, you know, just oh, so much, so much of a much through all of it. And then all that, that anthropological stuff that you're talking about, like you could basically take cuttings, like little clips from this movie and insert it in the background of a movie, you know, a few years hence mm-hmm. as the parody of the late nineties that was going on in a diegetic movie on the TV. Mm-hmm. Like you could just have this unaltered and people would be like, oh, they nailed it. <laughs> That's yeah. exactly what a bad movie would be like. Yeah. Like all the uh, the strange sort of like, well, it's sort of jazzy and and moody. And like we're going to give you a kind of noir kind of soundtrack here in, in the background as they're, you know, moving through the club or you see Dennis Quaid about to approach somebody in a bar. And you're like, this is like the, the teaser scenes on Silk Stockings when they show you what the bad guy is up to. Uh-huh. <laughs> it, had, it had that level of like danger and sexuality. USA, up all night. Yeah. Yep, pretty much. Or sort of cut to daylight and uh, Vincent D'Onofrio snapping on some uh, rubber gloves to know everything <laughs> about the people who were murdered in this jazz club. Right. How long did I sleep? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Shall we rate this? 
Sure. I think I want to say that you can get a lot of stuff out of it that they didn't intend to uh, be in here and uh, that, you know, it's a, a great document for that reason or that there are some real like knockout performances that are getting around some kludge. But I think at best it's like a three. Yeah. There isn't a lot that's artistically redemptive here for me unless you're kind of looking at it as like, let's let's take a holistic approach to mistake making. Yeah. As a sort of cautionary tale or 11 tales that is too long. Yeah. I think it's at about a three. Like during it, I was not actively irritated. But once it was over, I really felt like those two hours would have been so much better spent doing anything or nothing. So yeah, it's a it's a three for me also. It tops out as like catastrophically premature magnolia. Mm, yes. <laughs> magnolia delivered at like four months. That's yeah, that's absolutely it. Still like still with webbed hands and feet. Yep. All right. I suppose there's the matter of Quaid. Woof. When we first see Quaid, he is barging into a bar and um assaulting Poor Patricia Clarkson, who there are some screenshots of her reacting to this <laughs> extremely non-believable situation in our visual aids. You can see those on Twitter at Quaid and Full Pod, also on our Patreon page. This poor woman, like what a pro. I hope for her day of work. She was well compensated. This is everything that we have really in season five come to dread about Dennis Quaid trying to stretch. Absolutely. This is a long <laughs> clip, so bump it up to the two times speed. Here we go. I had a meeting at a bar. Yeah, I had a few drinks. Out. No more than usual, standard four drink buzz, maybe five. After I was gonna meet Leanne and Jamie at the Pizza Hut. Every Tuesday night, Jimmy wants Pizza Hut. So I was late. I was driving fast. Not too fast, I think. The light, it just turned. It was red for only a second, less than, I swear. I ran the light. I saw the car. I hit my wife's car. Oh my God. I saw her face through the windshield just as I hit them. She saw me. She knew it was me. Oh. You shouldn't be alone. Yes, I should. I should be alone in hell. That's where I am. Take a number, boyo. I mean, <laughs> like... I should be alone in hell! This is a bar in Los Angeles. Isn't he like eight seconds in when there's like the... First of all, he doesn't really seem to know if it's Jamie or Jimmy. I don't know if that's just like a Texas accent thing, but aren't you, as the Patricia Clarkson character, eight seconds into this, like, oh, this is some improv bullshit I got to pee and you just ditch him. <laughs> Her first instinct is he says this awful, horrifying thing. And she's like, would you like to sit down and have a drink as opposed to being like bouncer? Yeah. And yeah, the whole thing about his his aggro confessional is like, 
I mean, even if it weren't Los Angeles, I don't think there's somebody who's sitting around like Wichita going, you know what I should do as a woman in this bar is give a lot of my extra attention to this guy who's violently upset and I've never met before. Yeah. Like, you're going to go. Yeah. He looks like Dennis Quaid, but, you know, in, in this moment of his emotional extremists, he's not Dennis Quaid. You're not going home with Dennis Quaid. Like, no matter how lonely or provincial your life is, you're going to be like, that's a hot man, but right now there's a demon of sadness inside him. I'm going. Yeah, you're absolutely like third rail, not touching that. I will say, though, in, in, for that scene, I, I didn't quite hear it until uh, we were actually listening back just now uh, with headphones, but I was listening to the uh, electric organ there in the background, and I was like, man, this really does sound like they found a Dennis Quaid-style song to run under Dennis Quaid. Yeah, and actually, that's uh, Been Around the World by Cracker off of uh, Gentleman's Blues, which is a really, really great track. But it was like, <laughs> it just seemed like, well, this is Dennis Quaid kind of boogie when I first heard it. Mm -hmm. mm. One gem on the soundtrack. Yeah. The rest you've heard before. Sure. I can give that credit. That's fine. You got to find something in that scene, which really, especially since we really did kind of just do Savior. And then in his second improv, there's Natasha Kinski. And I'm like, what? Why? And then in his third improv, he's in a drag bar, and this is the most quady that he's allowed to be. And there's a bunch of uh, screenshots from this scene in the visual aids because he is having a ball. It's kind of amazing, but the uh, local talent is not necessarily having it and also is blowing him off the screen charisma-wise. As it yep. were, here's clip five. I'm Lana. Cute. <laughs> I haven't seen you here before. Well, how do you know that? Honey, you sounded like John Wayne in a bathhouse. Well, as a matter of fact, this is my first time here. <laughs> I'm 28 years old, in case you were wondering. And that's in real years, not Heather Lockdale years. I'm also a drag queen. Well, I think I figured that out. <laughs> well, I just don't want there to be any misunderstanding. This ain't no disco, and I don't want no crying game confusion. I want it understood up front. I may be a fabulous looking broad, but I've got a penis. So do I. Well, then we'll get along just fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was really just like literally hands folded in prayer, like, please let this take a Truffaut huge right turn into that story. Like, let's just stay here. Yeah. Where the contrivance is and the artifice is actually serving a purpose and creating a second narrative that we would care about. I don't know. But this is absolutely Quaid's most believable is him rolling into a drag bar, ordering a gimlet of all things. And yeah, but then he's back to being, according to the script, this beige husband who... Mm -hmm isn't giving Madeline Stowe enough D and it's like, I'm sorry, look, Anthony Edwards is a, I think a very nice man, but in what fucking universe are you zipless fucking Mark Green when Dennis Quaid is at home? Well, it's somewhere over the rainbow in a beach in Hawaii. <laughs> no, I mean, like if you just swap those two guys in that role, yeah, those roles, it would have been perfect because you're like, oh, totally. And then, you know, Quaid gives you a little grin. It's like, dearly beloved. <laughs> you're like, oh, damn. <laughs> yeah, like, you oh, dog. I see. Yes. I, <laughs> and then I've... Mark Green just like torturing people emotionally. He's like, hey, let me tell you the worst thing you've ever heard. And I'm going to make you sympathize with me. And you're like, you know, the first time you'd be like, oh, my God, I can't believe that happened to Mark Green. 
The yeah. second time you'd be like, wait a minute. And the third time you'd be like, this guy is an absolute malevolent psychopath. Yeah. Well, and he ends up uh, getting a brain tumor. Yeah. So there really are all these <laughs> rotten Easter eggs in this movie. Um, wheels within wheels, man. Yeah. Given how that casting should have been swapped and given that he is very quady and like what's I think supposed to be the least quady part of the proceedings. I am really struggling on how to rate this qua quade. I thought it was like a three or a four just because he's abundant enough on screen, but we're stuck with, I mean, I don't know what the visual aids are going to look like, but when he's doing his confession of I killed my family to Patricia Clarkson, there is mm. a moment that looks like, you know, I killed my, my wife and my son are dead and I'm pooping as I say this. <laughs> I, and I love that in these moments, you and I come at the pooping <laughs> from exact opposite directions that I always feel like he is straining at stool to this Presleyan degree and we're about to see him have a stroke. Right. And and I, I always think that he's trying to keep it in. Yeah. And <laughs> I don't. I mean, it's Schrodinger's poop. Quaid stool. Poop. <laughs> Schro Schrodinger's scat. <laughs> I, can, you, can you do something with Schrodennis? Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> I chopped out. I already did my good one. <laughs> yeah. No, that was a good one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like the wink, you know, and the, the actual kind of like, oh, you know, who he could be a flirt. This could be persuasive. The first two were just sort of the wrong content. Maybe he's getting better at this kind of lying or maybe he's finding where he does it best. But now you're starting to see some of, uh, you know, like the, the rascaliness come out and the flirtatiousness. And then is, you know, we've opened that door briefly and then we get to the end and it slams shut and he's into baby voice. And, you know, you got, you got baby sling blade kind of sign waving in and out. Sometimes it's baby or sometimes it's slinger. <laughs> baby um, sling blade. Oh. <laughs> I think we said it in for everything that rises, like, uh, or at least I did that. I hope this is the last of this kind of, um, irregular dennis and uh, that you know he finds his uh his smirky muse again for the 2000s but i i think i'm hoping this is the last one we keep getting surprised we think we think we're out and they pull us back in yeah far from heaven is not going to be a good time for you spoiler so what is your where are you ranking it what's your number i, I mean i don't know tell me like about three four what is it is a good three and a half just cut bait am i wrong I mean, Am I wrong? He is on screen, uh, like his sort of screen levels put it at like a six. And then you've got this um, baby voice thing that chops it back down to like a three. But then he orders a gimlet and does a John Wayne imitation and it like kind of floats back up a little bit and then it gets knocked down again and he's miscast. He's just in the wrong role. This contrivance is not believable that his character would do this. And also, he's a video game designer? Mm. What video game? Killer Golf. <laughs> the, the, yeah, there it is. The, the Alamo. I don't understand any aspect of this performance exactly, but then when he is flirting with Lana, it's like, oh, like that was a very concentrated hit that then was mm. diluted by everything else. So I am going to say a five. That's probably too high, but that's how I feel. Okay, yeah, four, four then. I think I think you made a convincing case that, you know, I should give it a little bit more just for this, like you said, just for the strength of that, that last bit where you're like, here he is. <laughs> we know you're here. We knew you were here all along. I'm so glad you came out, little guy. 
Yeah. Hiding in your room, angry about the party this whole time. <laughs> much like your disputed poop. Uh, well, I mean, I think we pretty much agreed on the poop qualities of this. Anything else before we... Yeah, two things. Uh, uh, just on the late 90s document quality, I, I, I didn't want to overlook the fact that uh, Sean Connery's character is big into watching both Leno and Bill Maher. Yeah. Like, hmm. Exquisite. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I do want to say just as a connoisseur, and again, not to drag it back to the the other gigs there, but uh, having having listened to the clip of the chief of the boat in The Last Ship explain to his captain that he murdered his family and coded on the table five times, but was brought back by God. Like, this was a pretty great, I killed my family in a car speech <laughs> for him. I thought that was, you know, I've, I've heard of when they're good, and this one was pretty good. Well, I'm glad that we're ending on a high note. <laughs> Speaking of endings, season five coming to an end next time on Quaid in Full as we kick this season for the extra point with Dave Roth, who's joining us for any given Sunday. But before we throw that anger ball for a touchdown, sorry, mm. you can check out the show notes and follow the podcast on Twitter at Quaid in Full Pod. And you get even more content at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Full. Quaid in Full is hosted by Sarah D. Bunting and Jeb Lund and edited by Jeb Lund. Don't subscribe yet? Throw that vodka mart on the ground and go sign up wherever you get your podcasts. And rate and review Quaid in Full so other people can find it. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Listen, listen. You... Have been swell listening to me like this. Bet you'll think twice about striking up a conversation in this bar again, huh? <laughs> Take care.